Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. So last week, when I was at Walmart shopping for my slingshot that I preached about last last Sunday, I noticed that they still had their Easter candy out for sale. So a couple of days ago on Friday, uh, I wondered if they still did. I went back to check, and disturbingly, they still had it out for sale. And I found this guy, a chocolate hollow Easter bunny. Man, he looked great. I mean, that just looks delicious. He's got his bow tie here looking sharp. He's got a great mold work going with the detailed on the inside of his ears. He's got some eyeballs with some color stickers. Beautiful chocolate hollow Easter bunny. And I know uh, some of you like this. Some of you are more like peep people, you know, like you eat the peeps, you know. But I'm more of a chocolate hollow Easter bunny kind of guy here. They're beautiful. You can get them in really beautiful arrangements. The trouble with chocolate hollow Easter bunnies, the only trouble is if you just apply a little bit of pressure to the chocolate hollow Easter bunny, well, there's, it creates a bit of a, a problem, you know, with this beauty. You know, you, you look at what's outside, and it looks all delicious, and then a little bit of pressure, and the poor guy's lost his face, okay? I can't feel my face when it's Easter. Listen, I wonder if, if anybody knows what it's like to feel as if your life has been constructed a little bit like a chocolate hollow Easter bunny, because I believe with all of my heart that sometimes we do. We do adorn our lives quite well on the outside. We can look pretty good. We can decorate it in such a way that it looks great to the exterior, but at the same time actually, truly, really be hollow inside. Jesus said this can happen. In Matthew 23, we hear these words, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Listen to that image. Could any image be more compelling or provocative? You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So you also, on the outside, look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. White washed tombs? So clearly, Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders, right, who, who have kind of constructed their lives in such a way as to project this kind of austere, flawless, super spiritual um, persona to the rest of the world, while at the same time neglecting 
anything that matters within the interior of their lives. Worse than that, worse than simply being empty on the inside, Jesus said it's possible to look alive on the outside and actually be dead within. And while he's talking to a specific group of people there in Matthew 23, I think that applies to any one of us, any one of us at all, at any time in the journey, when we, when we overemphasize the exterior and we underemphasize the interior. I'll never forget going to uh, London with Laura several years ago, and we visited Westminster Abbey. And there we are in that great hall, and, and it, it houses now for, for ages to come the remains of kings and queens throughout the ages. Some of the most notable figures who at one point or another ruled their known world are there, encased in uh, their, each has its own sarcophagus, or I guess they have many sarcophagi, you know, or sar- sarcophagal, depending on if it was, you know. Anyway, so it, there they are in these beautiful above-ground caskets overlain with gold and silver and all kinds of decoration, bejeweled with all kinds of uh, earthly decor, and yet I'm standing there looking at them, being fully aware that on the inside they are absolutely uh, dust. Do you know what it feels like to at one point or another in the journey look alive to everybody who's watching your life but at the same time be dead inside? See, this is why we are having this deliberate sermon series during this season called Resurrection. Because we have this audacious claim that you actually can not just look alive but be alive. We have this belief down to the core of who we are that we actually can be alive with resurrection from the inside out. That our lives can be filled with joy and contentment that there really can be a steadiness of heart and a stability of mind, that you really can be reconciled with God and with others, not just be reconciled, but you can actually be reconciling along with God the rest of the world. It's resurrection, and it's absolutely available to everyone. The trouble is, you... You're not going to, I am not going to experience resurrection and the full aliveness of resurrection until I realize, until you realize, that resurrection is not just some one-time event, but resurrection is an all-the-time invitation to a way of life. A way of life. Resurrection as a way of life. A kind of resurrection rhythm where every day, if you really want to experience the interior aliveness that Christ offers, then every day there must be a deliberate dying to self and a rising with Christ. That every day we ask Christ to aid us in recognizing the places where we must lay down our lives where we die to our own patterns and our own sins. We die to our own ego and our own pride. And in so dying, the true resurrected one actually comes alive within us. 
Now, you may be listening to what I'm saying, and, and, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, that sounds really good, but it sounds like miles and miles from where I am. Because while I would love to be alive on the inside and not just the outside, I, f- I feel like maybe I'm the bunny. Maybe I am the whitewashed tomb because I have perfected the capacity to look like it's all fine. But I am empty and maybe even dying in places you can't see. Well, There's a way toward resurrection for you. And it, it, it involves simply saying that somehow out loud before God. Simply saying, I admit that this is who I am. I confess to you that the charade is up, the jig is up, and, and I can't pretend or project something that is not actually true within me. And I've come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of my bag of tricks, and I cannot, cannot, cannot rescue myself. And I'm in need of one who can. Maybe it's time for you to actually find a space where you sit before the one who gave you your first breath and who will take your last breath and deliberately give your life to him. That is how resurrection begins, by yielding our life to the one who is raised And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, and we're going to pray at the end, and maybe today's the day that you need to pray something like that. But before we get there, I have to say something here, because this has been on this pastor's heart for some time. If it's true that an individual, an individual can look alive on the outside but actually be dead on the inside, do you know what I think is equally true? It is absolutely possible for the body of Christ to experience the same. Absolutely possible for a church to do all the things that a church does to look alive on the outside, but at the same time be dying in hidden places. So, the most interesting, one of the most interesting things about this journey through COVID 19 that, that we're learning is clearly early on we found out that you can actually be carrying the virus, right? and not show any signs of carrying the virus. You could actually be contagious and carry this virus along and not even show it, not even know it. You you look and feel fine on the outside. And I believe that that is equally possible for churches to look as if everything is fine on the outside, but, but in hidden secret ways, unknown ways, be carrying a kind of spiritual virus that can threaten to undo the health of that body, that can threaten to undermine the integrity of that body's witness in the world. And I I thought it might be perhaps meaningful for us during this time to think about two or three viruses, spiritual viruses, that can seep into the body and the body barely even notice it at first until it's too late. The first virus that I want to talk about, spiritual virus that can enter into a church, I believe, I'm just going to call it isms. I know it's a funky word, but you've heard me talk about isms before. Uh, Three of the biggest isms that are problems, isms like these, consumerism, tribalism, nationalism, 
These isms serve as kind of spiritual viruses that seep into a church's consciousness or a church's practice, and it may look as if everything is fine and feels fine on the outside. I have no symptoms whatsoever, and yet gone unchecked. These isms can bring down the body. For example, consumerism. I mean, have, have we ever been as acutely aware as we are these days at, at, at how, how interdependent we are on the consumer culture in which we live? I mean, we literally are being awakened to the reality of how interconnected we are in the system of the buying and selling of goods and services to the extent that we're having to make choices about taking risks on our health because we realize if businesses don't open back up, there are risks that come with that too like not being able to pay a mortgage and not being able to put food on the table. And so this recent season, at the very least, is beginning to reveal just how uh, dependent we are on this kind of consumer culture in which we live. It's, it's like fish. I've told you before, it's like fish in the sea. You know, the fish is in the sea and the sea is in the fish, but the fish doesn't know it. I mean, and you and I are like swimming in this sea of consumerism, and we barely even notice it. And it's okay. I mean, this is how we have been able to develop the greatest economy in the history of the world, right? So that's fantastic. But this pastor's heart is moved at times when I think about what the consumer mind does when we try to practice faith. Because if gone unchecked, you know, we learn from the time we're old enough to buy our first stick of gum that, that you, you, you buy what what you like, what gives you satisfaction or, or pleasure. And if you don't like it, you go to another product or another giver of those products. Well, when, you, when you practice faith, it's hard to check the consumer mind at the door because we're constantly looking to be satisfied, to find meaning in the swap of goods and services. And if we're not careful, we will begin to think of the things of faith, the mystery of the faith. The mysteries of God's love and resurrection and the church and the world will think of these things as products that deserve our consumer satisfaction, right? So if this you know, program doesn't do it for me, I'll go to another place that has a better program. I don't like this sermon series, so I'll just watch this other one online because it's much more compelling. I don't like this music, so I'll go to this other service. I'll, I'll choose to, to participate in this action and not the other because of what it does to my consumer satisfaction. It's like a virus. And if the church is not deliberate about washing its hands of this virus of consumerism, it's possible to think of this whole mystery of faith as just one product that we buy and sell. And beloved, the church is more than that. The church is better than that. We are not meant to be consumers, but we in the church are meant to be consumees. Meant to be consumees. Where we come not to simply consume and pick and choose the things that we like, but rather we enter into faith in order to lay ourselves humbly and, and in, in, in uh, yieldedness before God and say, you, Lord, consume me. <laughs> I belong to you. So you consume my mind and consume my heart, consume my body, my, my actions in the world. I belong to you. See, we have to wash our hands of certain unseen viruses, spiritually speaking, like consumerism or tribalism. Tribalism is another ism virus. It's the ism virus of believing that the only ones who are important or of value in life are the ones who are like me. 
the ones who think like me, talk like me, believe like me, vote like me, love like me, dress like me, laugh at the same jokes that I laugh at, listen to the same music. And so we define our tribe as those who are most like us. And on the one hand, it's okay. I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of a primal thing to do to find your people, right? But the trouble is, if gone unchecked, then once you realize your tribe, it becomes easy to make an enemy out of every other tribe. And once you define those with whom you seem to have much in common, it's easy to reach down and pick up a rock and lob it at those who don't think like you, vote like you, orient their lives into the world the way that you orient your life and do family, right? If we're not careful... The reason that can be a virus in the church is because in the church, we are one tribe made up of many, many tribes that come together under the banner of one name, the name that is above all names. And so if we lob rocks at those other people, right, and those other groups, the ones who I can't believe think that way and move that way and and behave that way, then here's what we do. We may be surprised to find out that we're lobbing rocks at the person sitting next to us in the pew or sitting across from us in the choir loft or sitting across and next to us in the Sunday school room because in the church we are meant to be one tribe. So tribalism can be a virus. Unless we wash our hands of that virus, we can sometimes look on the outside as if everything is fine, but slowly be dying from within or nationalism similar to tribalism but nationalism is something different now i'm not talking about patriotism patriotism is a love of one's nation a willingness to give and to serve that nation in whatever capacity you have but nationalism is taking a love for a particular country and putting it above one's love for faith or even on equal terms with faith The trouble is, for a long time, you've heard things like, well, you know, you're citizens of two kingdoms if you're a Christian. You've heard things like that. You've heard, you know, citizen of the kingdom of God and citizen of of whatever country you belong to. But I say that that is absolutely not true. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen of one kingdom and one kingdom only. It is the kingdom of God and of his Christ, and you are a temporary visitor in every other earthly kingdom. And it's important to keep that in check because unless we wash our hands of all these isms that slip into the church, it's possible to forget who we are as followers, the body of Christ And it's easy to let those viruses somehow compromise the integrity of the witness that we have in the world. So that's one virus that can sometimes slip in, isms. But another virus, I'm just going to call this um, spiritual sauntering. I know it's a kind of odd phrase, but it's easy for a church to look strong and alive on the outside but not have resurrection on the inside because of this virus right? Spiritual sauntering. You know what sauntering is, right? Sauntering is just kind of walking around casually, you know? Sauntering is just kind of, you know what it means to saunter. You just kind of hands in the pockets or maybe hands behind the back. It's a leisurely, casual stroll through the... So last night, by the way, or two nights ago, Laura says, hey, let's go for a walk. 
It's like 9.45 at night, and it's her third walk of the day, okay? She's like a rock star. I hadn't walked all day long. I said, okay, sure, sounds like a great idea. And so we did. Went out to walk. And so because it wasn't my third walk, but my first walk, I thought, let's make it count. So I start walking this very brisk pace, and she's like, oh, we're doing this, right? And I said, well, we don't have to. She's like, let's just kind of slow it down. I said, well, we can saunter if we want to. That's cool. So we sauntered and had a great Walk. Sauntering means to casually walk, leisurely walk, with no real agenda. The walk of faith was never intended to be a saunter. Do you know what it looks like to saunter the walk of faith? Some of us are sauntering this walk of faith, and here's what it looks like. We'll get up on Saturday or Sunday mornings, Saturday and Sundays are blurring these days. It's kind of odd, but we'll get up on Sunday mornings. Here's how you saunter through faith, and you'll decide whether to go to church based on how you feel and how tired you are from how late you stayed out the night before. That's sauntering through faith. Sauntering through faith is deciding to engage in the actions of the church, the mission of the church, based on if it's compelling to you or not rather than commitment. It's based on is it, is it maybe the best choice out of many. Sauntering through faith, is seeing your church relationship and your walk of faith as, you know, one of many options you could choose from rather than it being the hub from which everything is interpreted and oriented. Sauntering through faith means you show up late, look at your phone all through the service, and then leave early. Sauntering through faith means you never crack the spine of holy scriptures to read it for yourself. Sauntering through faith means that you never in your day find five minutes to sit in a space where it's just you and the one who gave you your first breath and who will take your last breath to simply say, I belong to you. See, sauntering through faith means if it's, if it's easy, I'll take that sauntering through faith is allowing somebody else in your family to take initiative for your spiritual well-being. So your spouse has to force the kids to get dressed and to get in the car to go do church, but do they have to force you? You have been invited to drop your nets and follow him. And, and Jesus says there are really kind of two ways we can go about this. Jesus said there are really two options. One is there's this wide road. You can take it. You, you can. It's wide. It's easy. It has no obstacles. And you can saunter all the live long day on the wide road. But be sure of this. It absolutely, without question, leads to destruction. But there is this other road, and it's, it's a narrow road, and it's difficult. It's got obstacles. It's not going to be easy and there are very few people on that kind of road because of that. But I can assure you this, I, Jesus says, am on that road. And I can promise it leads to life. Jesus says, you got to want this. And it's possible for a church to look so good on the outside and be dying within if its members saunter their way through their own faith walk with Christ. This is what the saints of the ages have been telling us. In fact, this is how one preacher in the New Testament wrote about it in the book of Hebrews. Listen to what's said. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us also, let us, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And for today, for today's purposes, I'm calling the sin that clings so closely um, spiritual sauntering. Let us lay aside the spiritual sauntering and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, disregarding how difficult it is. He knew it would be. He disregarded its shame and has taken the seat at the right hand of the throne of God. See, if we are to truly be a church that doesn't just look alive but is actually alive, it means we fix our eyes on Jesus And because we recognize that it is he who offers aliveness, then we run with perseverance. We run with vigor. We run with passion to chase after he who allows us to live. Paul said it the same way, but in a different text. In in Philippians 3, we hear these words, not that I have already obtained it, Paul says, not that I've already reached the goal, but I press on. To make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Check out the verb there. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. See, I I don't know what the season during COVID-19 is doing to your walk of faith, but I pray that it is making you hungry to practice more, to walk with more passion, to come back to this space where your commitment, I believe, will be renewed. I'm hearing from you, and you're talking this way. You're like, I miss being at church. And this season, I think, has reminded all of us just what it is that we have available to to us with each other through Christ. But until we wash our hands daily of the the spiritual uh, virus of the spiritual saunter, then it's very, very, very possible for us to come and check all the boxes. I attended this event. I gave this donation. I participated in this mission project. And so I'm doing pretty well. That's not running the race with passion that's sauntering and Jesus didn't say if you want to be my followers take up your cross and saunter on over he said if you want to be my followers you must take up your cross and follow and the last virus I want to talk about that can at times seep into the body of Christ and the body feel just fine and look just fine but be dying within is I'm simply going to call it amnesia Amnesia, just forgetting. Well, forgetting what, Sean? (laughs) Forgetting where the true source of aliveness is found. See, gone unchecked, any church anywhere can, if if gone unchecked or, or unexamined, we can spend the better part of our energy of our time, our resources, our money, our focus. We could spend the better part of it making sure that the institution stays up. We can make sure that the grounds, the building, the the campus looks fantastic. 
And we could make sure that we have the best website so that it draws others, perhaps newcomers, to be a part of our church. And we can preach inspiring messages, hopefully uh, inspiring others to become new givers and support the mission and the ministry of the church. I mean, we can do some programming that can draw others and actually transform lives. That's fantastic. And we should. All of those things are great. But until we wash our hands of the belief that any of those things bring true aliveness, then it will be like a virus seeping into the body, killing us from the inside. Because the true aliveness of the church of Jesus Christ is found in one place and one place only. It is found in nothing more than, nothing less than, and nothing other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, living, breathing, and risen in the lives of his people. That is how we remain alive as a church, to remember it is in him that we find our true aliveness. Now, you, you may be listening to everything I'm saying, and you may be saying to yourself, that sounds so true. And yes, we can decorate the outside of our spiritual house while on the inside we are dying. And I want to be a part of a church that is that alive. But maybe you're sitting there where you're sitting and you say, yeah, no, that's why I'm part of JCBC. Because I know that we are alive there. But today, maybe I'm coming to grips for the first time with the reality that, that while I'm part of a church that really is alive, I feel like I am the chocolate hollow Easter bunny. And I feel like I am the whitewashed tomb because I've made myself look pretty convincing, pretty alive to the world out around me, but I, I, don't, I don't have it in me. If that's where you are today, then maybe you need to pray this prayer that I'm going to pray with you right now. And don't close your eyes. I'm not. Look right at the screen and without telling anybody in the room, just pray this openly. God, I am done with the charade. I'm done with this masquerade of attempting to convince everybody, maybe even convince myself that I'm fine and I can rescue myself and I can save and redeem myself. I'm tired of it because it's not true. And today, God, I recognize that I've come to the end of me I've come to the end of me, and I need you. I recognize that you, I don't know why, but when you made me, you thought I was a good idea. Otherwise, you would not have made me. And here I am, as broken, as empty, as dead on the interior as I can feel. But I ask that you do something about it. I ask that you take my brokenness. I ask that you take my sin, my shame, and I ask that you would replace it with your love, your holy presence, the aliveness that can only come from you. I confess that you are my Lord. I need you. I need you now more than I have ever needed you. Amen. Now, my beloved brother or sister, if you believe that and you, you prayed that, maybe you prayed with an open eye, 
but more importantly, an open heart, and you actually meant that, then it counts. It counts. And right now, you have chosen the path of resurrection. And you're going to need to tell somebody so that we can walk alongside you. Last week, when we prayed something like this at the end of worship, I said, hey, I want you to email me. And four people, four of you, emailed me uh, that day and the next day and said that you prayed that prayer and that you meant it and things are going to be different. I cannot tell you what a big step that was in your life. And today, if you have prayed that prayer, I want you to email me. Uh, I want you to email me at the email that you see on your screen because I want to know. And you need to tell somebody. Now, wherever your journey takes you, know this. It can be a journey that looks really sweet. It can look really impressive. It can look like it's totally alive and yet be the best looking walking grave in town. Or you could actually go from where you are from this moment and actually chase resurrection. To live a rhythm of resurrection where you actually truly not only look alive but are alive. And my prayer is that you would find that in our Lord Jesus Christ. So now may Christ go before you, preparing your way. May Christ go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step forward at a time. May Christ go to your right and to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you on days when the dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his.